who is Jesus? I thought it was appropriate that I would talk to you about Jesus today. We're in a series called Greater Story. There is no greater story, God's greater story, than Jesus. Who is this Jesus that so many people have tried to deny? Who is this Jesus that so many people tried to kill? Who is this Jesus that so many people have bowed their knee and surrendered to his lordship? Who is this Jesus that so many people have changed lives? This room is filled with people who are, you are changed because of this man, Jesus. You know, in Timothy, it tells us, Paul tells Timothy, he said, you need to study to show yourself approved. And then he says, you need to be a workman who can rightly divide the word of truth. And what word was there at that point? There wasn't a New Testament. The New Testament was still being written. Letters uh, were still being written when he wrote that. So the reference that he had, the word of truth, the word of God was the Old Testament. And when it says Paul preached the word and convinced people that Jesus was the Messiah, he didn't use the New Testament, he used the Old Testament. And what we found that if you are a good student, a workman who can rightly divide the word of truth, you will study the Old Testament, and most of you know you've been here so many years, you know that one of the things I love to do in preaching is to dig and glean for the pictures and types And stories in the Old Testament that teach us about Jesus. And hidden, sometimes easily distinguished, sometimes not. Sometimes it's a type, a symbol, a picture, an allegory, a lesson, a principle, but contained within the Old Testament are countless references to the Messiah, Jesus, or there's countless lessons that you can look at that and say, that's talking about Jesus. So let's just look at those. Genesis. And obviously, I'm not going to give you every example from every book. But I want to give you a few. Genesis. What do we know about Genesis that would refer to Jesus? Well, the very first reference I can find, and that is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. God is speaking to Adam and Eve, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He's speaking to the devil. I'm going to put enmity, friction between you and the woman. Interesting, he notes the woman. And between your seed and her seed, the woman's seed. And he, mean the seed of woman, is going to do what? He's going to bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. An obvious reference to Jesus. Because Satan would bruise the heel of Jesus by crucifying or using the religious leaders to crucify Jesus. But in doing so... Jesus would crush the head of Satan. 
he would destroy Satan and all of his power and principalities. You see this in Exodus. Exodus is the story of the manna. I love the story of the manna. But what do we know about manna? Jesus is the manna that they woke up to every morning and ate. He's the man in the wilderness that gave God's people life. You can see this from John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. It says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is the real bread? Jesus is the bread. So when they ate that bread in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, it was all pointing to Jesus. When later he said, I'm the bread of life. In Leviticus, you you have all the feasts. And and we have taught the the feast several times over the years. But just think about all the different priests. And how, uh, all the feasts, excuse me. How Jesus is all of those feasts. Jesus is the Passover. He was crucified On the Passover, a lot of people believe he was born on Passover and he died on Passover. So he's our Passover lamb. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It tells us that in the book of Colossians. Jesus is the first fruits of our salvation. Jesus is our Pentecost when he gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the day of atonement because he was the one who died for us. And he takes our sin away like the scapegoat. And removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So the book of Exodus and all of those, excuse me, Leviticus, all of those stories and pictures and and, and examples through the feast, they all speak about Jesus. The book of Numbers, when I look at the book of Numbers, it's the book of judgment. There are several instances where God judges. And you know, Jesus is the judgment of God against all who would reject Jesus. In the book, book of Deuteronomy, he's the one who teaches obedience. A lot of people call the book of uh, Deuteronomy the book of obedience because everything in there is how God teaches us obedience. And you know, who is, who is it that teaches us obedience? And not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the, behind the law. Jesus is the one who lives inside of us and teaches us how to be obedient. So he is the obedience that God wants us to walk in. What about Joshua? It's pretty interesting. I I saw something in the book of Joshua I've never really seen before. You know, you just glaze over it. But the obvious reference in the book of Joshua, remember the story of the, the two spies they sent into Jericho? And the two spies were hidden by a prostitute named Rahab. Remember that? And uh, she hid them, and the people came in, where are these two guys? And she said, oh, I don't know. And she hid them back in the back laundry room. Uh, and, and when they came out, she said, listen, will you remember? When you come in, we've heard what you're going to do. Nobody's been able to stop the people of God. So we know, when we come in, would you remember me and my family? And so she said, make me a sign. And what did, what did they say? He said, here, take this scarlet cord, a a bright red, blood red cord, and hang it out the window. Is that not a, a beautiful picture 
of the blood of Jesus that saves us and our whole family. It was just like the blood over the lintel and the doorpost in the Passover. The blood saved everybody in that room. Well, in this case, it was the same way. And God saved a prostitute and all of her family, everybody. And I never had seen this before, but I, did, I thought about it. It says, and let's look at verse 18 uh, in the book of Joshua. Uh, when we come to the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging out from the window through which you let us down. Notice that. All of your family members, your father, your mother, brother, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. Think about this. They let the, the, the two spies down that rope. Why? Because they, Rahab had a room, it says in verse 15, on the wall, on the outside wall. So, think about it. A few days later, that wall came tumbling down. Remember? So what did God do? God caused that part of the wall not to come tumbling down or else they would have all been destroyed. So God had the wall. Not only did God cause the wall to come tumbling down, God caused all of it except that area and saved Rahab because of the word of the Lord that they would be spared. Isn't God amazing? And that scarlet cord speaks of Jesus and the precious blood of Jesus. The book of Judges. You know, the book of Judges, the best stories, I believe, are Gideon. And I believe Brother uh, Ben spoke about Gideon the other day. Also, it talks about Deborah. But you know, the, the things I see in both Gideon's life and Deborah, and that is Jesus teaches us to obey God in the small things. And as God lives us and Jesus gives, lives in us in the power of the Holy Spirit, He teaches us day by day to obey God in the small things. A lot of people just want to obey God in the big things. But, you know, Gideon learned little things. All the way down to how you drink your water. Little things. Or what's the difference? And the same thing if you study the do- uh, story of Deborah. In, in that same book, Little Things. The book of Ruth, one of my favorite books, because Boaz rescued and redeemed the Moabite, Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabite, a hated tribe, born and comes from the incest with Lot. And What happens? Jesus is the Boaz in our life that redeems us and covers us with his precious blood. Hallelujah. You remember that story how uh, Ruth slipped in and she slept at the feet of Boaz and he woke up and he covered her and said, I will cover you and I will be your kinsman redeemer. And he went and purchased the price For her to be his bride. What a beautiful picture of Jesus covering us and being our kinsman redeemer. And even though we're all Moabites, in rebellion to God, he loves us anyway. And he covers us with his precious blood. What a beautiful story. 1 Samuel. You know, to me in 1 Samuel, the best picture is how David defeated Goliath. Now think about the picture 
David, a young boy, uses a simple tool, a slingshot, to defeat a giant enemy. What is that a picture of? That is a picture of how Jesus used a simple cross to defeat our greatest enemy, Satan. It was all a picture how with God's hand and God's anointing that you can defeat the greatest enemy and Jesus defeated Satan with the simplicity of a cross. And you see in 2 Samuel, you know, to me, the greatest story in the, in the second Samuel is how they, you know, they lost the ark of God. Remember that? They lost the ark of God. And when they lost the ark of God, they had no protection. They had no covering. They didn't, God's blessings was not upon their people. And they were ravaged by the Philistines. But when they got the ark back, the presence of God was in their midst. And to me, Jesus is revealed in the ark of God as the very presence of God. Because when Jesus is in our life, we have the very presence of God. And when he was showing them how important the the ark was and the presence of God was in their life, he is showing us how important Jesus is in our life. And he is our presence. First Kings best story in first Kings, Elijah calling down fire from heaven, defeating the prophets of Baal. But you see, Jesus is the very power of God that brings down the power of God that would defeat the enemy. He is the power of God. You know, Elijah didn't have any power of himself. And when he called down fire, I believe it is the very power of God coming down. And that's a picture of how Jesus can bring down every enemy. And Second Kings, you jump to a new prophet, Elisha. And to me, the story of Elisha is, is the most important is when it says that the, he was received a double portion of God's Spirit. What does the Word of God tell us? It tells us in the New Testament that through Jesus, we have an endless supply of the power of the Holy Spirit. We have not just a double portion, but we have an endless supply. And that kind of doubles with, because Elisha also gave the widow an endless supply of oil. Again, a picture of how Jesus, he is the oil of the Holy Spirit. He is that endless supply of the power of the Holy Spirit for our life. In First Chronicles Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting because the greatest story contained within 1 Chronicles is how they learned once again to worship God. Who else but Jesus is the one that teaches us to worship God? One of the things that I love most about Sunday morning worship, Sunday morning church, is our worship time. It is, if you are committed to Jesus... And you know Jesus and you have a real relationship with Jesus. I want to tell you, worship is a central part of your life. It's like life. You can't do without it. I have never understood people who say they love Jesus and walk in five minutes before the service or five minutes before the preaching and then leave after preaching. And they miss the worship. I just want to tell you, it's a central part of our life. And that's what Chronicles does. Jesus is the one who teaches us. To worship God, just like David taught the people of God to worship God. In Second Chronicles, to me, the greatest picture is the glory cloud. Remember when the, the remember when Solomon finished the temple, 
me the great picture is how it says, as they humble themselves before God, the glory cloud descended down upon God's people. And to me, that's a picture of how Jesus comes into our life. He is the glory cloud that comes into our life when we humble ourselves before God and we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. His glory comes upon us as He fills us with His Holy Spirit. Ezra. Ezra rebuilt the temple. But have you ever thought how Ezra convinced the people now, the temple had been uh, demolished and destroyed, and it had needed to be rebuilt for a while. You know how Ezra did it? He inspired the people of God to have an interest and a desire to worship God. He was a smart guy. He didn't just say, you need to build the temple because it needs to be built. He said, Wouldn't it be nice that we could worship God once again? Wouldn't it be great if we could once again come into the temple? Because the temple was the place of worship. It was the place where God's presence dwelled. And he said, wouldn't it be great if we could once again, as the people of God, we could worship God. And it inspired the people. And what does Jesus do? When Jesus comes into our life, he is the desire to worship God once again. Amazing. And Nehemiah, we talked about Nehemiah a couple of uh, weeks ago. What did he do? He didn't rebuild the temple. He built the wall around Jerusalem. Remember we talked about that? Jesus is the wall that we have of protection against the enemy. You are protected against all of the tricks and snares of the enemy. Why? Because of Jesus. He is the wall. He is our protection. And when Nehemiah built that wall, it was a picture of how Jesus would be the wall. Esther. Oh, I love Esther. My favorite part. You know, there's a lot of humor and sense of a kind of irony in the book of Esther. Because Esther was the one that went in and, and interceded into the king's courtroom and said, please save my people. And she said, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to go in. And you know the little story about Haman. Haman was a picture of the flesh, the flesh nature. And he kept trying to kill Mordecai because Mordecai was a picture of Jesus and a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, but what happened? I love the picture. Look, let's look if we would. I, I, let's read that. It's in Esther chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. It says, Then Harbona, one of the king's units, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole. Sometimes they use uh, a, a hangman's noose, but uh, I think the clear reference in the, in the Hebrew is a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. So, is, I'm sorry, and then it says, then impale Haman on it. The king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Do you see the picture? Amazing. Because Satan put Jesus on the cross, but when Jesus put, excuse me, when Satan put Jesus on the cross or had him to be crucified, who really got destroyed? It was the enemy. 
It was the enemy who was impaled. It was the enemy who was destroyed. When Jesus died on the cross and when Haman was placed on the thing that he intended for Mordecai, it was a picture of how Jesus would destroy the Haman in our life, the enemy himself, by hanging on the cross. What an amazing picture. The book of Job, or some people, when the first time I read that, I thought it was the book of Job. You know, if you look, you need a job, you read the book of Job. Well, that's not really the book of Job. It's the book of Job. And what do we learn? How is Jesus there? He's the one who gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But my favorite part is how at the end, at the book of, in the book of Job, God restores everything and more. More, double. Everything that had been taken away. Jesus is the one who gives and takes away in our life. And Jesus is the one who restores everything the enemy has stolen from us. Book of Psalms, oh my goodness, it's difficult to, to pinpoint one, but my, my favorite messianic psalm is Psalm 22. Because what an amazing reference to Jesus. Let's look at two scriptures in the book of Psalm. Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. First of all, it says, Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Is that not exactly what they said about Jesus on the cross? That's exactly what they said about Jesus on the cross. And this is written hundreds of years before the cross. And then 17 and 18, the same chapter. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves. And they throw dice for my clothing. Jesus is the fulfillment of this messianic psalm. And Psalm 22 is not the only one. There are at least 20 to 30 messianic psalms that all give reference to Jesus. And he is the Messiah that the prophet spoke about. Proverbs, I think of wisdom. Remember how early in the book of wisdom it talks about wisdom being a person. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who teaches us to walk in obedience And it gives us practical understanding. You know, I thank God He is very practical. And He teaches us the practical things and discipline of life. And Proverbs shows us how Jesus is the wisdom of God. And He is the one that teaches us to walk in simple, disciplined ways in our life. And then Ecclesiastes. The greatest takeaway in the book of Ecclesiastes is how that Solomon says, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. All these riches, what good are they? He had great riches, but you know he learned since he turned away from God near the end of his life. It says his wives turned him away. But what does it tell us? Jesus is the only one who satisfies He reminds us that riches will never satisfy you. And I just want to say to you again, you can have all the money in the world. 
and it will never satisfy you. But Jesus is the one who satisfies you. He will always satisfy you. The song of Solomon, the song of love, the song of the bridegroom and the bride, Jesus is our bridegroom. How many of you are glad that Jesus is our bridegroom? We are the bride of Christ. Come on, guys. You, you can be the bride. Yeah. Jesus is our bridegroom. And what is the bride? She woos him into her presence, into her presence. And she draws him into sweet intimacy. Isn't that exactly what Jesus does? If you don't know Jesus this day, I can tell you one thing for sure. Jesus is drawing you. He's working on your case. He's speaking to you. He's drawing you. You may not know it. You may not recognize it, but I can assure you the fact that you're here today, Jesus is working on your case. He's drawing you in the same way that the bridegroom is being drawn to the bride in the Song of Solomon. Isaiah, wow, what, a, what a, an amazing prophetic word all through Isaiah, but there's none better than Isaiah 53. And, and although this is a lengthy passage, I want to read the first nine verses of Isaiah 53. And who, who can miss that this is talking about Jesus? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root and dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Sins of all of us. Verse 4. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. How is this? This is amazing how it talks about Jesus. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sin. He was beaten so that we could be holy. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Verse 7. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. Jesus is the lamb that was led to the slaughter. No doubt about it. What about Jeremiah and Lamentations? You see a picture how that Jesus is the weeping prophet. When his people walk away from God, he is the weeping prophet that weeps over his people. Ezekiel. He's the watchman. Jesus is the watchman on the wall. And he is the one, the true shepherd, who gives his life for his sheep. Is Daniel, 
Remember the book of Daniel? So many stories in there. Could talk about the lion's den. But the best, I, I think, and the clearest reference to Jesus, we find it in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 through 26. It says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, and saying to his counselor, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, O true king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus was in the fire with them. Oh, my goodness. All through the Old Testament, Jesus keeps popping up. He keeps coming into focus. You think God was trying to get our attention? All through the Old Testament. Hosea. He's the loving husband. Who pays the price to redeem his wandering bride. He does that for you. Joel, he is the one, Jesus is the one who will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he will make us kings and priests unto our God. Amos, Jesus is the plumb line that reminds us that God is holy. And that he comes to make us holy. Obadiah, near the end of Obadiah, Jesus is the fire of God. That destroys all the enemies of God. Micah. I love this. Micah chapter 4 verse 6 and 7. Says this. In that coming day says the Lord. I'll gather together all those who are lame. Those who have been exiled. Those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak. Will survive as a remnant. Those who are exiles will become a strong nation. Then I the Lord will rule from Jerusalem. As their king forever. You know thank God. Jesus is the one that gathers all of us outcast even though you're weak without strength he gathers us together as the remnant of God hallelujah he is the mercy of God that gathers the weak and the lame Nahum he's the stronghold in the day of trouble and if you have a day of trouble I guarantee you Jesus is your your stronghold in a day of trouble Habakkuk, you know, when everything falls apart, Jesus is the one who gets us through it. Look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, probably the most famous passage in Habakkuk. Even though the fig tree have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty and you owe a whole lot on your car and they're about to repossess your home and there's no uh, beans in your, in your cupboard and you can go on and on, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though everything's going south and not doing well, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord, that's Jesus, is my strength. He makes me as a sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the high. Jesus is the one who allows us to make it through hard times and difficult times. There's no one else. Zephaniah. Love Zephaniah 317. 
That used to be, actually, we used to sing Zephaniah 317. The Lord our God in the midst of us is mighty. Look at this translation. It says it in verse 17. He said, for the Lord your God is living among you. Isn't that a picture of Jesus? He's the, said, he's the one who would come and live among us. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight with gladness, within you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Isn't that amazing? God is singing over you. He's singing joyful songs over you. He is speaking the power of God in your life. He prays for us. He's the one. Haggai. He's the army, the captain of the armies. I love Zerubbabel here in Haggai chapter 2, verse uh, 22. Let's read that passage. 2, verses 21. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. And in this case now, we're talking about how Jesus is going to do this. I will overthrow royal thrones, destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I'll overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall. The riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, that's Jesus. I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shelialtel, my servant. And I'll make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord. For I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Who else is the, he- the, uh, the one who's the head of God's armies, and that is Jesus. Hallelujah. Zechariah. You know, one day, soon, Jesus, it tells us here, we're about to read it, Jesus is going to come back. How many believe Jesus is coming back? If everything that he said has come to pass so far, so amazingly. Why would we not believe that everything else he said is going to come to pass? And yeah, are there doubters who say, well, I hadn't seen anything yet. Well, just hang on. Just hang on. And look what he says here about the Lord when he comes. Powerful. It's in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3 through 9. Then the Lord will go out to fight against these nations as he has fought in the times past. On that day, his feet, Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart. Make it a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north. Half the mountain will toward the south. You will flee through this valley and they'll reach across the Azal. Yes, you'll flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all of you and me... We're going to come with him. We're coming with him. Hallelujah. On that day, the sources of the light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. Why? Because Jesus is going to be the light. There will be no normal day or night. For at evening time, it will still be light. On that day, life-giving water, I love this, will flow out from Jerusalem. Half from the, toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously, both summer and winter. And the Lord, who's that? Jesus, will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord, one God, and His name alone. <laughs> His name alone. His name alone will be worshipped. 
Him alone will be worshipped. And when you worship Jesus today, you're getting ready to join the chorus of heaven where one day His name alone will be worshipped. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Who is Jesus? The clear picture. Malachi 4.2 But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free leaping with joy like calves led out to the pasture. You ever seen that? Calves who are bottled up, kept in a pen. But one day, they swing open that door and they go running through that gate, kicking up their heel. I'd do that, but I'd probably fall on my face. (laughs) I'm smarter than that. (laughs) Pull off one of those. But we're going to be like those calves. Leaping for joy. Because Jesus is the son of righteousness. And I love the last verse. The last verse. The Old Testament. 4-6. His preaching. Jesus' preaching. Will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise I'll come and strike the land with a curse. From Genesis to Malachi. Jesus is contained in all of the Old Testament. Now, let me just say this. If God went to such lengths to contain in the Old Testament this man, Jesus, I only have one question for you. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is He Lord and Master of your life? Have you surrendered to His Lordship? Have you made Him the King and Master of your life? Have you surrendered your life to Him and said, Lord, You alone are worthy to be praised. Your name alone is worthy to be worshipped. Who is this Jesus to you? There is none like Jesus. He's not just a character. Who showed up in the New Testament. And if I were going to start here and go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And go through the New Testament. We would be here all day. But I can safely say from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. So if that's true, and it is. Who is Jesus to you? This morning, there are some people you have held back your worship. You've held back making Him Lord. There's some people in here, you said, well, you know, I got some things to do. I got goals I want to accomplish. And, you know, if I do that, it's going to mess up my life. No, you don't do it. It'll mess up your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now. Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of every person in this room. You know a lot better than me where they are. 
And you know every person in this room that has made you Lord, and you also know all the ones who have held back. You, you know the ones who have intended that one day they might surrender to your Lordship, but they haven't yet. And Lord, I pray that today they would stop putting it off. That today, as you have shown them, that you were all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament. We know you're spoken of all through the New Testament, but now, Lord, we also see that you're all through the Old Testament. So, Lord, I ask you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would draw hearts to surrender to your Lordship. There's no greater decision you make today than making Him the Lord of your life. I'm going to ask you, is there anybody in this room you would be willing, you desire this day to make Him Lord? And you haven't. You've held back one reason or the other. But today, you would say, Lord, I'm not... not, holding anything back. I've messed up my life. I've gone my own way, done my own thing, and Lord, I surrender my life to you this day. Anybody? Just slip up your hand. That's you today. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Yes. Several hands. Yes. Hand over there. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? You'd you'd just like to be willing to make him Lord of your life today. Anybody else? All right. We're going to do this. I'm not going to drag this out but I want to give you the opportunity first of all if you would stand to your feet our worship team is going to sing talk about coming to him and worshiping him we're going to sing and if you would make your way down to the front I want to meet you right here I want to pray with you make Jesus the Lord of your life today get it settled if you walked away from God at some point and you need to come back to God you need to get it right with God get out of your seat quickly and come right down here make him Lord of your life Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I'm going to do this Sunday. Make it today. Anybody? Thank you, young man. Thank you, young man. Come on down. Make him Lord of your life today. Don't put it off for another day. Come on. Yes. Thank you, young man. Thank you, young lady. Praise God. Thank you for coming. This is your first time here. You're from Peru? From Peru. Praise God. Thank you for coming. Yes. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for coming. Anybody else? We're going to wait just a minute. This is your opportunity to give him your life. Turn your life over to him. The Bible calls it being born again, restored, forgiven, whatever you want to call it. Anybody else? We want to give you that opportunity. Anybody else? All right, here we go. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray out loud. And we just, this is not, this is not like joining church. This is a, a spiritual decision of asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And what happens is there is a transformation that takes place in your heart. He gives you a new heart, takes out the old heart. And he puts his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. 
you, and the Bible says you become a brand new person. New person in Christ. And here's the best thing. All your sins are washed away. Isn't that a bargain? All the sins you walked in here with are t- taken away. Gone. Just like you've never sinned. That's amazing to me. And then he helps you. Holy Spirit lives in you. And he helps you to walk a godly life. Amen. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Just pray out loud with me. We're going to pray. We're going to pray out loud. And we're going to ask him to come into your hearts. Save you. Restore you. Amen. Pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus. I give my heart to you. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I've tried. And I mess up every time. Today, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender to you. I make you Lord. Give me a new heart. Take away my old heart. Give me a new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And live inside of me every day. And help me to walk with you. Today, I am born again. By the Spirit of God, I will never be the same because you will live inside of me. I am forgiven, washed by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.